mark our Bibles, but do our Bibles mark us? We've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and it's been uh, pretty exciting for me because it, it covers so much about leadership and coming together as a community and asking the question, what is God up to, and I want to be a part of it. So we've been looking at it, and we've seen that Nehemiah was uh, really called out of the ashes into a vision, a glorious vision that God gave him. So in that, we saw that he was a broken man because he had asked, in his cushy job, he had asked his brother, so how are things back in Jerusalem? And he got the bad news that things weren't so good, the broken down wall, the people were without identity and without protection. And this broke his heart through a whole bunch of processes that we've uh, looked at in lots of detail. We saw that finally he was released uh, from his duty with the king and he went out and became governor of Nehemiah and got his hands dirty. And there he called leaders together and together all the people, the pharmacists, the goldsmiths, the kids, the housewives, got together and built this wall, giving them identity, community, protection, but not without a whole bunch of opposition and obstacles. So we saw how they had to deal with backbiters, how they had to deal with gossips, how they had to deal with just really soft people allowing the enemy to creep among them. We've seen all of this. And I think last week, we've also seen that there was a great repentance and how we also need to come to the Lord and humble ourselves, as Pastor Ken pointed out last week. And here, I'd like us to see once again that in, in chapter 9, we see that the Israelites are driven to confession and it ends with an intriguing action. Nehemiah 9 verse 38 says, In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites and priests, are affixing their seals to it. So the whole community gets together. They've opened the beautiful word of God. Ezra is expounding upon it, making it clear in all their languages. And in view of all this, what we've read today, we are making a binding agreement. So they're not just highlighting the scrolls, but the scrolls are highlighting them. The scrolls are highlighting them. The word of God is making a mark on their lives. So here we are in uh, chapter 10, and we're going to start at verse 28. And if you start reading the first few verses, you'll realize why I've gone down to verse 28. But uh, we're going to start verse, chapter 10, verse 28, and please uh, follow along in your Bibles. So verse 28, here we go. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives, all their sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their brothers and the nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. Don't you wish the banks did that too? That'd be cool. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our Lord, for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbath, new moon festivals, and appointed feasts, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine 
when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God to set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility to bringing the house bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree. As is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, of our herds and our, our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all of our trees, and of all our wine and oil. We will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the, the Levites when they receive the tithes, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary are kept and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. We will not neglect the house of our God. Lord, this is a, a chubby piece of scripture here. It, it touched on a ton of things. So I ask, Lord, that, um, again, what we've said is it's easy to hear and it's harder to listen. It's easy to hear, not so easy to do. And these folks here in Nehemiah's time, they wanted to do. They, they've gone beyond hearing. They've gone even beyond listening and they have heard the marching orders and they've realized, wow, we bind this with an oath and with a curse that we will do these things and we put our seal upon it. So Lord, there's something in here for us and I ask in Christ's name that our Bible will mark us today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, in a recap, in all that God stands for and all that God has done, they made a covenant uh, or a binding agreement to serve God and to glorify Him. Was this covenant or, or promise the real deal? Like, or was it just words again? Well, there looks like there's evidence of it. So here's the main principles from our, from our reading today. They would separate themselves to God. They would glorify God in their marriages so they wouldn't give their kids in, to other tribes for marriage. Uh, they would take time to rest and concentrate on worship, Sabbath stuff. They would take care of God's house, and they would give tithes and offerings. So this morning, I was trying to, uh, my secretary pressures me all the time to come up with my scripture reading and, and uh, title. So, I'm, ah. so this morning, I entitled this one, uh, uh, the message called Response Ability. So our, our ability to respond, but I really want to separate those two words, our response and our ability. And I think this is really important because, first of all, we always have a response when we hear the word of God. I think we do. We either, who cares? That's one response. Or who takes, really, who takes this book literally these days? Come on, preacher, get on with it. And um, I like what I hear when it's convenient. Or I believe it in my head, but it doesn't affect my actions. Or I believe it and I want to be shaped by it. I want the word of God to mark me. So why I've separated those two, and I want to give you another piece of scripture where I get the ability from response. And it's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where we read, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And it says here, but you will receive power. And we've gone over this before, but shortly I'll tell you, uh, power pretty much means two things. We will receive dynamos, dynamite. I like that. I just love that. We will receive dynamite. And it also stands for the word ability. So you will receive dynamite. You will receive ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. How do you get the Holy Spirit? When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you initiate this relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a child of the King, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, so now you've got some vigor, some dynamite, and you have the ability to get things done. You have the ability to be a witness to the other ends of the earth. That's what we're reading here. So let's hear, let's listen, and let's respond today by doing what the word of God says. So the first thing that we see, the first principle that we see is they would separate themselves unto God. The good old word sanctification, I love using it just so that you, you all don't doubt my education that I was educated at some point in my life. Nice chubby word. Sanctification. We are set apart. And not only that, not only are we positionally set apart where God says now you are set apart because of what Christ has done for you and you've responded to that, but you constantly, every day, every moment, are setting yourself apart. And you know what I'm talking about. There's decisions every day that require a response from each one of us. So our sanctification is continually, every day, setting ourselves apart to his glory, realizing that we're kids of the king. And I just want to make clear here that this whole process of sanctification, it's not like separating rotten apples from good apples. So you, you go to your apple bin there and you take out the bruised ones over here and then you don't use those, you throw them away or make applesauce and you only keep the nice polished ones. That's not what we're talking about here. Because I think if we're honest, we're all bruised apples that have a bit of rotten stuff on us. That's what we're talking about here. And we're talking about God saving and using all of the rotten apples, even with all of our spots. That's more the sanctification we're talking about. So he doesn't go, wow, he's polished. She's polished. I like that one. No, he takes us with our bumps and our bruises and we we respond to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are set apart. And now we constantly say, what does it mean to be set apart? Because I want to live for the king. That's really what they're doing when they're making this oath and they're saying even with uh, the powerful curse that we want to be set apart for you, God. And one of the ways they said they would do that is with their marriages. In 10 verse 30, they pretty much forbid intermarriage with foreigners. Here it was somewhat modified from the original laws in the Pentateuch, so uh, you'll find that in Exodus 34. Which, which prohibited intermarriage with the nations of Canaan because that would lead to apostasy. These prohibitions against intermarriage was for religious reasons. What was happening all the time and reading the Old Testament, you'll see a king that's going pretty good and then he'll marry a couple ladies from there, 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 and there. And with them not only comes their culture, but their God. And these guys, for some reason, when they're with this lady, they can now sometimes turn away from Jehovah God or sometimes they would just add this God to their pantheistic view of, let's serve a whole bunch of gods. And this constantly made them commit spiritual adultery and not stay real with their God who had been faithful so many years and had brought them back to this place. 
So they would glorify God in their marriages. And here we see that one of the reasons is when they had intermarriage, that also meant not only intercultural, but that would mean interspiritual stuff going on, and it would water down the truth. So here we're reading this because of religious reasons they were being unequally yoked. This goes back to a principle that we even saw a few weeks ago regarding being uh, equally yoked. We know that sometimes, even now, that we're, when we read New Testament scripture, we see that we see that the Word of God still says in the New Testament that we are to be equally yoked, and that means in business, that means in all sorts of stuff, but especially when it comes to marriage. It's interesting. Because, you know, how many people don't take into consideration that if they connect with their date on a spiritual, emotional, and intellectual level, okay, then the rest will take care of itself. But so many people short-circuit the process of getting to know each other on a spiritual, emotional, and intellectual level. They short-circuit it by getting involved sexually, which messes up the whole process because let me tell you that if you release all those endorphins in a physical relationship, then even Einstein would date probably the biggest moron on earth. You know what I'm saying? So once you get physically involved with somebody, good luck having any discernment with intellect, with spirit, and with emotion. I think that deserves an amen. Come on. Like, come on. I don't care how incredible you are. Once you get that physical stuff going, yeah, good luck. So, it's really important here, and the principle that we're getting here is to also be discerning and wise when it comes to our intermarriage, when it comes to our interbusiness relationships, because sometimes when we get together with the wrong person, we get sucked down a road that we would never have guessed we've gone down before. So it's really important to be equally yoked. They would glorify God in their marriages. They'd also take time to rest and concentrate on worship. You know, I've told you before, but I don't like skipping church much. Once in a while, I will. But on the whole, even when I'm on holidays, I don't really like skipping church much. And uh, first of all, I think the Lord wants us to hang out with other believers. And it's pretty cool when you go anywhere around the world, you can find believers that have this commonality in, in, in common. That they love Jesus and so do I. Woo! Let's get together. All right? But I shared this with you a while ago, and it was so cool because we were in Penticton, and we go to this church, and um, sometimes I get stuff out of church, sometimes I don't. Probably like some of you. Probably most of you get an incredible amount out of church here. But <laughs> here I was. Here I was, and uh, the, 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 the pastor says, hey, if anybody needs prayer, come up to or, or get to the middle of the aisle. So there's people coming out to the aisle, and we were visitors. We only go there once or twice a year. And uh, this young lady stands up in the middle of the aisle and uh, there was music going on and all that stuff. And finally, I just elbowed my wife and I said, go pray with her, right? So she's kind of, well, I'm not going to elbow her again. Up she goes and she, uh, she goes to this young lady and as she's about to pray, then also an older lady came around. So now there's a threesome and they're praying together. And it was really cool to see the ministry of my wife and this other lady and all that stuff. And she prays over this young woman And then the older woman turns to my wife and says, now, how can we pray for you? And what we were struggling with at that point is my my little girl had a skin condition that was driving my wife crazy. We couldn't get rid of this condition. We had been everywhere to the doctor, to specialists, to whatever, skin specialists. What do you call those people? Dermatologists, that's right. Been all over the place and nobody knew what to do. 
right? So she says, I would really like prayer for this. And then she's a nurse. She goes, oh, that's easy. And she gave her the remedy. And my little daughter cleared up like 100% almost right after that. That was pretty cool. And then they could pray together too. But it was amazing because for me, it, it highlighted once again that this is kind of why I, another reason why I do church. Because sometimes I'm the blessing to somebody else. And other times, there's a blessing in it for me. And other times, I might not recognize whatever. But I kind of have in my head, my simple head here, that I don't want to miss out on something. Like I'd be ripped off all of a sudden, shoot, you know, there was something there for me. And I'm not trying to be greedy or whatever, but I'm just saying, like, what, what if, what if? So I think it's pretty important that we try and worship together on Sunday mornings. And really what it's saying here is also to set yourself apart and set aside a day of the week. And also as we're going to see in just a bit, and I think Pastor Ken touched on it too, every seven years and the year of Jubilee. But the Sabbath rest was really important. To remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy, we see in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. The Hebrew word Sabbath means to cease or to rest. Its biblical context is the Genesis account of creation. The Sabbath is the seventh day in which he, he, God, rested or ceased from all work of creating what he had done. So from the beginning, God gave the command to rest. Think about even uh, David's psalm in, in 23. Psalm 23, he leads me beside quiet waters, still waters. He restores my soul. A, little tra- a literal translation would be quiet water is, is waters of rest. He brings us beside a brook, <sighs> a place of rest. And that's a command in the Old Testament. And we see also the same principle in the New Testament. After a prolonged period of ministry, Jesus called his disciples to come apart and rest. In fact, you see it over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus was a really busy guy, doing all sorts of miracles, hanging out with all sorts of people that needed to hear his refreshing word. But then he would do some miracles and he'd hit the road to his favorite place, Garden of Gethsemane, so that he too could rest and rejuvenate and get his batteries charged. Robert Rendell, commenting on these verses, says, come apart and rest, or simply come apart. Come apart and rest, or simply come apart. And then Jesus in Mark chapter 2 says that the man was not made for the Sabbath. So we're not talking religion here. Sabbath was made for man. He knows us pretty good. We need to rest. We need to rejuvenate. We need to set aside work and the busyness of our schedules and take time to not only rest, but also to look for a connection with our Heavenly Father. The Old Testament records Sabbath rest as a normal pattern in Israel's history even before the Ten Commandments were given. And what it, this does is it demonstrated Israel's faith in God. Simply put is God said it, so we will do it. Yeah, I think that's a principle we often miss out on these days. It says it, do it. So that's one thing. Uh, In the Old Testament, they looked at it because it demonstrated Israel's faith in God. The Israelites trusted God not only to provide food miraculously, but also to provide enough to eat on the Sabbath. So if they were working all these days and they're not supposed to the seventh day, or with all these years and they're they're supposed to give the, the land a break that seventh year, 
Well, gee whiz, they really have to exercise faith in God, don't they? God, we trust you with this one. It also became a reminder of how God delivered them out of captivity in Egypt, Deuteronomy 5. So it was a reminder, a remembrance of how God's faithfulness has been to them over the years. It became a uniquely Jewish memorial distinguishing them from other nations. It became a sign of their covenant with God. So they were different because they rested. They were different because they trusted God that seventh day or in that year or in those 49, 50 years. God established not only a day of rest, but a sabbatical year as well. Every seventh year, Exodus 23, the land would rest. After seven observances of the sabbatical year came the year of Jubilee. As a nation, Israel was directed by Sabbath guidelines. Their disobedience of this, of not obeying the Sabbath, their disobedience of it led to captivity, which allowed the land to rest, 2 Chronicles 36. So we see here this this principle in the Old Testament and with Nehemiah, even though he had tons to do, the people read it and they said, wow, this is our covenant God, we've got to do it. But not only that, that there's wisdom in it. Like this uh, Randall says, you got to set yourself apart or, or you will come apart. So not only did they set themselves apart, not only did they recommit their marriages and to, to uh, seek not to marry all sorts of different foreigners to bring in other religions, but fourthly, they would also take care of God's house. Verse 32 pretty much says, we assume responsibility for carrying out these commands. G. Campbell Morgan says this, whereas the house of God today is no longer material but spiritual, so the house of God is not the temples that we read about Solomon's temples, but it's spiritual, the material is still a very real symbol of the spiritual, okay? When the church of God in any place, in any locality, is careless about the material place of the assembly, the place of its worship and work, it is a sign and evidence that its life is at a low ebb. Translation, if we think we're terribly spiritual, but our whole building is falling apart, we really don't care about our lawn, our parking lot, anything else, then this guy is saying that, hmm, that might be a sign of your spiritual lives too. It might be a sign of your spiritual lives too. We are called and responsible to take care of the house of God, which is this place that we meet, but it's also the people that meet here. The house of God is this place, but also more importantly, actually, is you are the house of God. Where we are together, that's where Jesus is. But I like what Campbell Morgan says, is that our spirituality is also evident on how we take care of the things that God has given us, which includes this building. My friends, we have faced this here. That's why over the uh, last couple of years, uh, the board has felt strongly that we need to give this place a facelift. And you've seen it all over the place with carpets, these chairs, dot, dot, dot. Um, yet at the same time, it's very important to remember that the programs and the place or building must always serve the purpose and not the other way around. Let me give you an illustration. In Lethbridge, they had a big, fancy new church. It was amazing when I was there. And um, 
the new youth pastor, Rob Hildebrandt, he was all like anxious because they had had youth group the night before and they were ripping around. All of a sudden, some kid fell and put his knee right through the drywall. In, I think it was in, even in the sanctuary. So it's just like, oh my goodness, like I'm kind of new here. What are they going to say? I can't believe this new building. And he went to the <clears throat> deacon the next day and just said, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, and he's kind of a nervous guy already. And he's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. But like last night, uh, we were playing this game and the kids were getting right into it. And the one kid slipped going around the corner and put his knee through the, so he looked at this damage and the deacon says, good. What? Good. It's serving its purpose. There's people here being ministered to. Now, if you're here in youth group and you said, good, now let's knee the, you know, that's not what I'm saying, you know. In fact, these walls, I think mostly are actually wood. So good luck on putting your knee through this puppy, right? But, it, you know, it's kind of neat because the, the purpose, it, it's got to serve the purpose and not the other way around. But in even saying that, I'm going to be really honest here. I work here pretty much every day. So I noticed some of the quirks about our building and some of the interesting things about our building. And our building uh, limitations need to be looked at honestly. The state of this building and its location is not about our comfort. So if you're going, I love this place where it is. I love this little church. I hope it never grows. I hope we can always have this little church that fits 165 people, period. It's not about your comfort. In fact, even lately, I think I've almost been convicted because if we can continue on with this building the way it is, that means we're pretty much not going to leave anything for our children because this building is aged. And if you need some evidence, come with me after the service. Okay? The state of this building and its location is not about your comfort. Where and what is God calling us to and what are we going to leave our kids? Including the place where we worship. So these folks not only uh, set themselves apart, not only were careful in their marriages, not only taking care of God's house, but they would also give tithes and offerings. So here we go. If you hardly ever come to church, you're going, oh, here we go. Preacher's going to talk about giving. This is like the second time this year, so we're good. They would give tithes and offerings, and I'm following scripture here. Sir Winston Churchill, I think we can pay attention to what he says, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Ah, that sounds pretty good to me. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In fact, I think we've got to teach this stuff. My kid asked me again for a whole bunch of stuff the other day, and I'm going, Wah. So I was just going like, where am I supposed to take it from? So then I started to pinpoint all the areas that are simply expenses. And then I just said, and then mom and I love to give to this. And we love to give to them. And it's just nice to have some money on hand just in case we can give. And like part of it is giving. So where should I take it from so that you can have your convenience? You know, it made people stop and think. Like, really? I have to take from them to whatever, help you out with a cell phone or this thing or that thing? So it's also a principle on how we use and how we spend and how we give our money. Jesus says in Matthew, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So take a look at your checkbook, if anybody keeps a checkbook anymore, and see where's the money going out? Is there a good balance of giving? Now the New Testament doesn't really teach tithing. The New Testament really doesn't teach tithing. 
So here I'm going to get in trouble with the board maybe. Wearsby says, tithing can be a great blessing. So tithing is pretty much if I make 100 bucks, I give 10. Okay? Uh, tithing can be a great blessing, but those who tithe must avoid at least three dangers. Number one, he says, giving with the wrong motive out of a sense of duty, fear, or greed. If I tithe, then the Lord will prosper me and I would become rich. And I had that here one time. Like I had a guy just drop off a check. And I said, what's this about? I didn't know him from Adam. He says, I'll tell you, Pastor Steve, when I was living for the Lord, I was giving regularly and my life was going just perfect, peachy keen. Well, my life's a mess right now. I got to get it back on track. So I'm going to start giving to the church. So he was pretty much giving to the Lord, hoping that he would get something in return. That's not really the point. Now, I think there is blessings in giving, but I'm not, I'm not going to tell you today that, you know, we'll have another offering here and then look out this week, you're going to have a fabulous week, you know? <laughs> we could try it. <laughs> okay. And number two, thinking that uh, another thing that you have to be cautious of with tithing is thinking that they can do what they please with their, the, the 90% that remains. So I take 10%, I give the 10 bucks away, now I have 90 bucks to do whatever I want. Wait a second, how much of my cash belongs to God? All of it, right? So I have to be careful where my cash goes. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy it or whatever, but I'm just saying that can't we be Christian hedonists, enjoy life to the glory of God? How would God like me to enjoy this money? And if it means all of a sudden that somebody is in need, should I take that extra couple days on vacation or is there a chance that you should think, and Lord, does my family need this or do they need it more than that? Think about it right? He's calling us to be generous. And thirdly, giving only the tithe and failing to give love offerings to the Lord so we can become religious saying, this is 10% to God and now this is what I'm going to do with the rest. I don't want to hear the rest of it. So somebody comes along and you can react or respond being generous, but you just go, no, I gave my 10%, maybe next month. Maybe next month. So how are we to give to the Lord? Alvin Douglas uh, gave us a hint on how we can do it. And I'm just going to use his stuff because, uh, yeah, it's just really good. He says, in Scripture, we see in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, that we should give systematically. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Obviously, he used King James Version, which most of us do not understand. But nonetheless, here we go. At the first day of the week, everybody... Give some cash to the Lord. Now, that might mess with your plan. You might do it once a month. But the principle here is that he wants to give systematically, not just, oh, yeah, you know, once a year or something like that. It's a good thing to learn to give systematically. It's good. Not only giving at Christmas time, but every, every week of the year. Individually, he says we should be giving individually. And this is a principle that even my wife and I have tried to do is that sometimes what was happening is she would write a check and give it in and I'm just going, did we tie this month or did we give them? And it was just like one thing that we were trying to do is she can do hers and I can do mine because I want to feel it. You know what I mean? I want to feel it. I want to feel it. I want to feel how, ooh, I could buy some nice big tires for my truck. Hmm. Or, you know what I'm saying? Because there's extra money here. Or I can also feel it by going, God, thank you for your blessings. You know what I'm saying? You feel, you feel the pain of it, but you also feel the blessing of it. 
And it's kind of cool because I want my wife to feel that. I want me to feel that. And I'm hoping to teach my kids to feel that too. Give individually. Give individually. Give proportionately as God has prospered. So he's not saying that everybody in here needs to give a thousand bucks a week. He says in 1 Corinthians 16, again, we get the principle that we need to give proportionately as God has prospered you. In the Old Testament law, they gave a tithe, one-tenth of their income. The tithe in Leviticus 27 verse 30 was holy to the Lord and did not belong to the person. But we're not under law today, are we? Are we? We are not forced to give a tithe of all that we receive, but under grace, which is the covenant of love. So which is stronger, the power of the law or the power of love? Power of love is the correct answer. It seems to me that love is greater and that we ought to give tithes and off, uh, that we ought to give tithes plus offerings. What I'm saying is we come back to, again, to the response ability, right? Is with response, what is our response when we need to be generous or when we've said yes to a budget in church? What is our response? Well, guess what? God comes along and gives us the ability or he gives us the dynamite, the power, the opportunities to say, okay, this is rough. This is stretching God. Here you go. Here you go. That is hard. But in it, there is a blessing too. And I know each of you have felt that. I know each of you has felt that. I have sometimes been blown away when somebody comes of very, very little means. And then all of a sudden there's an envelope going, I want to give this to God. I'm just going, this is amazing. And you think five, ten bucks? Eh, no, it's awesome. Because the Lord doesn't go, really, five, ten bucks? What's that going to do for the kingdom? No. Five, ten bucks from everybody. And also it's the response ability of the heart of the disciple. Giving and trusting God again. God gives abundantly to those who give to him. Prove God. Go for it. We also want to give cheerfully in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. For God loves a cheerful giver. You've heard that before. So it's just like, let's have another offering. Awesome. Awesome. The offering plate's coming around. Let's do it again. Do it again. I can't get much more joy than this, right? How many of you are like, probably not, right? But it says to give cheerfully or with a good attitude, shall we say. We ought to count it a great privilege and joy to be able to give something back to him who gave so much to us. We give willingly and cheerfully as God has willingly and cheerfully given to us. He also says, and this one's, uh, this one's uncomfortable, he says to give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 2, they gave out of their deep poverty. So even folks that had nothing would somewhere scrounge or get a couple more bottles or pay attention for loose change because they wanted to give out of their poverty. We see that with the widow giving two mites, which was all of her living. God measures gifts by how much is left, but not, not by how much we give. God sees the heart of the giver rather than the size of the gift. So Alvin Douglas um, made this outline. I thought it was pretty good. Paul goes on to say, Apostle Paul says that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So our bodies are here understood as more than our physical bodies. It's the totality of which we are composed, everything about us. Christ followers are to offer all of themselves to Christ. This does not mean a limited or tithe portion of us. It does not mean that we decide to give of ourselves on Sunday mornings only and maybe a few evenings here and there. God wants us to to be obedient all the time with our complete selves. We can't be choosy here. 
We can't say that God can have all of us except our sexuality. We cannot say that God can have all of us except our money. We cannot say that God can have all of us except our families. We cannot say that God can have all of us except our work. God wants us to obey him in every aspect of life. Every aspect of life. This sounds pretty old-fashioned, huh? It's the word of God. Nehemiah 9, verse 38. In view of all this, in view of our experience, in view of your faithfulness, in, in view of what we have read today, in view of what Ezra has explained from the book of the law, we are making a binding agreement with you, God, putting it in writing. And our leaders are, and our Levites, our priests, are fixing their seals to it. So they are committing themselves to setting themselves apart, committing themselves to working on their marriages, committing themselves to giving tithes and offerings and being generous. They were committing themselves to taking care of the temple or this building. They were giving, giving, giving. So in view of all God's faithfulness, we at White Rock Community Church are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our pastors, and our board are fixing their seals to it. We are committing, or we are committed to setting ourselves apart unto God. We are committed to striving for healthy marriages that not only survive, but thrive. We are committed to learn how to rest and listen for the voice of Jesus. We are committed to the health of our church building and to the health of our bodies as the temple of Jesus Christ. And we are committed to be people marked by giving, generosity. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I do ask, Lord, that you'd empower us, empower us to be people marked by your word. Empower us, Lord, that we don't just mark up our Bibles and think it's kind of a neat book, but, Lord, that our Bibles mark us and that we would come and glorify you. We'd set ourselves apart. We would work hard and even invest, spend money on our marriages that we would take time to, to rest and worship you, set ourselves apart, Sabbath principle, and, and even think about how much you mean to us and how much we mean to you. Heavenly Father, help us when it comes to our building, when it comes to our land, when it comes to our parking lot. Help us to pay attention to this place and help us to think about even the future. What are we going to leave our kids? Help us, Lord, to pay attention to our needs here. If somebody's uh, sitting beside us that needs some cash or needs a place to stay or needs some food, and help us to pay attention beyond that to our community. How can we be generous people? How can we just say, hey, I give cheerfully, but I give in the name of the Lord because he has given me so much I want to give to others. Father, our desire is to be people of the word. You have given us ability You've given us dynamite. You've given us power. And Lord, today we want to respond. So I pray in Jesus' name that if somebody's here today and, and uh, their marriage has been really hurting, I pray that today they would be convicted and that they would work hard at loving on their wife 
at spending some money on their husband, whatever. Father, if somebody's here today and, and uh, they've been holding back because they really don't trust you, so every penny they spend on themselves, I pray that you would teach them to trust you, that they could sense the beautiful emotion of being able to give to you and trust you and know that you'll care for, for each of us. Lord, if there's somebody too that just struggles with trust in regards to, I have to work all these long hours, I have to, or my identity is in my work, Lord, come to them and may you also help them to understand their identity is in you, not in their work. And Lord, really close to home here, we're thankful for this building. We're thankful we just celebrated 70 years. But Lord, we're also aware that our building's getting old. And we would ask that you would help us. Help us to know your will for us. Help us to know your direction. Father, we need to know how to take care of our building or how to know our next step. And Lord, we just want to be people that are marked by your word and people that have the ability and the dynamite to respond. At the end of the day, Lord, it would be pretty cool if White Rock and South Surrey just knew Christians by their love and by their generosity. That when there's generosity or love in the house, they just go, wow, you must be one of those Christians. So Lord, we're people of the word and we want to be marked today. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.